we're now going to have a Bible reading. John's going to come, Pastor John will come and share with us from God's Word and we will be reflecting on Hebrews chapter 11 today. Now Hebrews chapter 11 is 39 verses long and we're going to read it in its entirety today. That enables us to get a, a good picture of what's being said here. So I would encourage you to open your Bibles and to read along with me or to read along also um, on your screens. So we're reading from Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 1. I'm reading from the NLT translation and it's titled Great Examples of Faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner, living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All of these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him, Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, 
Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned." It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. I mean, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and all of the prophets. By faith all these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words and for these people of faith, Father, who encourage and inspire us. And so this morning, Father, we pray that you will use your word. And as Pastor John comes, may you use him to share your word through him. So, Father, we also ask that you would prepare our hearts, still our minds, 
and enable us, Lord, to hear your words, we pray. Encourage us, challenge us, grow us to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you and uh, I'd like to extend my happy Father's Day to other fathers out there. I hope you've had a a great morning so far. Uh, As Wally has just read, we are looking at Hebrews 11 this morning and we'll work through this uh, over the course of the next 30 minutes or so. And uh, I encourage you to have your Bibles open, uh, however that might be, as we continue uh, to look through this passage. I'm not sure whether you know of the, I suppose, the social media project, uh, Humans of New York. Uh, it's a social media phenomenon with the simple idea of telling people's stories. So, inspired, uh, it has, I suppose, inspired thousands upon thousands of people and gathered a flock of followers on various social media channels And uh, Humans of New York was one of the first sort of photo blogging sites uh, to to sort of come about and then launch and go viral. And it provides pictures of people, uh, all New Yorkers, uh, which uh, and then from the various boroughs of New York, and they they then give a glimpse of their life story. Um, And the idea is that you get to know regular people throughout the city. Uh, of New York through seeing their photo, reading a little bit of their, about their life and uh, it's either a quote from a conversation or, or more formal interview that the, uh, that the creator of this project, project conducts with them. And some of the stories are sad and tragic and others are inspiring and encouraging and full of joy and, and all these stories are real and they're authentic and uh, they show the vulnerability of people as people are vulnerable to this, this creator of this project. And it, it, what captures people, the, the 12 million, 18 million followers that they have on various outlets, is that these, these stories sort of follow along with another person's life and we get a bit of an insight into what's, what's shaped them and made them uh, who they are. I've got a couple of examples for you here uh, on the screen. You can see that there's, there's one particular guy and the quote that came with uh, his photo uh, on the Instagram feed, Humans of New York. Uh, and so this is one picture of, of someone, or you, you get the idea of the project. There's another one uh, as well. And that gives you an idea of how uh, this project has sort of been undertaken and developed and then tells a little insight into people's lives. It's, it's a fascinating uh, thing and it's spawned uh, many other similar projects from cities around and countries around the world. It's gone into a book and a documentary and, and if you're interested you can, uh, you can look it up yourself, Humans uh, of New York. But this reminded me, as we turn to Hebrews 11 this morning, that we come now to a passage with the humans of the Bible, a list of people who inspire, who encourage, uh, who challenge our faith. 
These are a list of people uh, who have followed God in faith, who have endured a life lived here on earth and to the end and despite their many sufferings and trials and temptations, they have stuck with God. They have remained people of faith and have lived by faith. In a similar vein to the humans of New York, these humans of the Bible give us a glimpse into uh, it gives us a glimpse into each of their lives, a little a little portion of their life mentioned here in Hebrews 11, showing how they trusted God in their lifetime. They had faith that God would prevail. They had uh, faith that there was something that there was hope to come. There was something greater to come in the long run. Long run. They are people who can be an example for us who come after them. Uh, For the audience that was hearing these words for the first time, uh, to us today as well. These humans of the Bible give us something to be encouraged by, to be inspired by, to to be an example that we can lean into. And with this in mind, I'd like us to work through uh, the, the whole chapter this morning and I think when we enter into this, this chapter, it's immediately obvious and pretty hard to ignore that this passage is about faith. Faith. In verse 1, the writer defines faith for us. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not yet seen. There's no comprehensive definition of faith. It's a definition of faith to be used in the context of this chapter and this book of Hebrews. But in context, we see that faith is a reality or state of being, a state of being that that we have while we are unable to see the future. The future is not yet known, but through faith, there is an understanding that there will be a better future, a greater future with God. So faith in Hebrews 11 is that hope in a future which we still do not know, but it is still a reality that we can be assured of. And while the future is not fully known, we don't know what's coming up, we can trust God in what he has said and that we can place our faith in him and the promises that he has given us through his word. The 13th century philosopher, and theologian Thomas Aquinas sort of states this, this verse in his own words by saying that faith has to do with things that are not seen and hope with things that are not at hand. And this, this is what we, the Old Testament saints that we read about here in this chapter did. They were people who lived with an outlook and believed that there was a better day to come. There were people who lived in confidence, confidence knowing that the promises of God would be fulfilled. It was and is a state of being, a reality for people, a, a conviction that is held and trust, that we trust in God. And if you'll excuse this illustration for a moment, perhaps a way of illustration of this, is to think right now of every Melbourne football club supporter you can think of. Because they now live in a state of being, in a reality where they are convinced that they can win the premiership in a couple of weeks' time. 
the future is unknown. It is unknown whether that will happen. Yet they trust, and perhaps some more than others are convinced by this, that through the coach, through the players, through the process, that they will be delivered a premiership, something that they have not known for the last 57 years. A reality, a state of being, perhaps for Melbourne supporters. But in Hebrews, in Hebrews this faith, uh, through this reality, this conviction, that the saints of old were commended by God. Uh, they were commended by God and it was their faith that saved them. Like the message of the New Testament, the message of the Old Testament is still about faith. And this is why the writer of the Hebrews, in, in verses 24 to 26, comments about the faith of Moses. And he writes this, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Why on earth is Christ mentioned there in relation to Moses? Christ doesn't arrive for over a thousand years after that point. But it's because while Christ is not visible, the faith of the saints, the faith of the people of the Old Testament was ultimately in him as the one who was to bring the fulfilment of God's promises to completion. So in the meantime, the Old Testament saints trusted God and were hopeful and were convinced of this greater future, all of which would be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The state of reality was there and it was a future hope to look forward to to what was to come and they believed that by faith. Stepping into Hebrews 11 uh, is like, I think, walking into a museum. A museum with a long, dimly lit corridor and there, with dark floorboards and a nice square-paned windows, uh, which lets the light in, there you can walk down this corridor and you can see paintings and statues hanging on the walls and standing there in the corridor And along each side there are marble busts of significant leaders of history and uh, of important dignitaries sitting there on top of uh, pillars and columns. You get the idea and hopefully you get the idea from this photo behind me. And this is what I think when we walk in to verses 4 through to 38 of this chapter. For all these Old Testament people are there displayed for us to see. They're either in statue form and they're either painted on a painting or something like that. We can imagine it, can't we? And they highlight their status and significance uh, in our past. And we get a small glimpse into what they are commended for, for what they have done to earn such a reputation, such a commendation, even written hundreds of years after they have died. And we can extend this illustration further. We can, we can imagine next to each 
picture or next to each painting and, and statue that there sits a little plaque and as you wander along, you can, you can stroll up to that little plaque and you can read a little about what their life uh, involved and how they lived by faith. And that little inscription would start by faith and it flows into their individual uh, commendation. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Sarah. You get, you get the, impre- you get the uh, impression. And verse 13 through 16 we have a little editor's sidebar. There we come to like one of those big signs in the museum. You know, one of those ones that's sort of in the middle, uh, very prominent. It gives a broader explanation of what's going on. There in the middle of the corridor sits this big sign with verses 13 through 16 on it. It says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of, a country, of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And these words describe how all these people we are looking at and reading about died knowing that there was something better for them, that there was something greater for them. They lived on earth as exiles, as, as people who were in the world but not of it. They knew there was better to come. While the land was plentiful, the descendants were numerous, God had promised something better. This earth and this life was simply a prototype of of what was to come, of something greater. And so that's why the writer uh, says in verse 16, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city And this resonates very much with the words of other parts of Scripture and particularly Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5 where it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. We live in a a broken world, a world that is broken. People are broken. Governments are broken. Organisations are broken. The results 
this results in a world where bad stuff happens. It's stuff that is not fair to the individual or to the collective and we know this ourselves. And here in verse 13 to 16, we are being told of a future hope that we have as believers. As followers of Jesus, we recognise the reality of a broken world, a world broken by sin, but, but a world that is still being restored and made new through the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. For through Christ there is the promise of forgiveness for our own sin and shame. Through Christ there is the promise of being able to live by faith with a relationship in God. Through Christ there is the promise of restoration in the world and through Christ there is a promise of life everlasting with God in a renewed creation through God. And so in the same way that the Old Testament saints live by faith for what is to come, so too we live in a world as people who know that there is greater to come. There is more than this. For God is preparing us and preparing this world for his holy and perfect restoration of all things. And this reminds me of the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. I'm not sure whether you're a a big fan. I certainly am and uh, have read it numerous times. And at the end of the final book, The Last Battle, he describes heaven as the various characters and animals make their way through to a renewed land. And part of this description, I think, is what fits uh, with this section of scripture that I've just uh, unpacked and what we're talking about. Please excuse the lengthy, uh, lengthy quote here from The Last Battle, but it gives us a picture of this renewed heaven uh, as, an, as an illustration to us. And, and we read this. It is as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you will get some idea of it if you think like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among mountains. In the wall of that room, opposite to the window, there may have been a looking glass and as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass. And the sea in the mirror, or the valley in the mirror, were in one sense just the same as the real ones, yet at the same time there was something, they were somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story, in a, in a story you have never heard but very much want to know. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If ever you get there, you'll know what I mean. 
And it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all of my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that that it sometimes looked a little like this. Bree, said the unicorn, come further up, come further in. By faith, we look forward to the holy city. By faith, we look forward to a, a better country. By faith, we look forward to a heavenly one. In verse 17, we continue to walk down this corridor. This corridor in this museum of the humans of the Bible. And we read more about these commendable saints of the Old Testament. We hear more about Abraham, about Isaac, about Jacob and Joseph and Moses and people of God leaving Egypt, the walls of Jericho coming down and finally of Rahab and all of them again having lived and acted in faith knowing that there was something greater to come. And we come to the end of that corridor where there are no more marble heads or busts and no more paintings of these people, no more little plaques with inscriptions. And it's another sign, we almost come to another sign, a sign that says under construction. An under construction that says that there could be more and more monuments, there could be more and more paintings further down this corridor. And it's this sign that tells us of verse 32 to 38 and tells us that this would really be a never-ending corridor. It could go on and on and on, for we would run out of time looking at the artwork, looking at these, these plaques and these statues and reading these inscriptions, for, for in all those living by faith would be represented here. Those who lived by faith are numerous. And each have a story to be told, yet there there is no time or space to show us, says the writer of the Hebrews. For what we are to know is that these people lived by faith, that they trusted God with their lives and that they lived their lives, uh, lived their lives looking into a future with hope, a future hope lived by faith. For their state of reality, their being, was a confidence in that God would do as he has promised, that there was something greater to come. And I'm not sure about you, but I find in reading this passage a terrific encouragement. For here are the saints of the past, a little glimpse into their lives and they are being told to us in such a way that we we see how they live by faith. And it encourages me to live by faith. For they are good examples for us. To live a life that trusts God's promises, to be sure of his forgiveness 
and salvation in Christ, to be obedient to his call, to live in the future hope described for us here in his word. Here are people who have gone before us, people who who God called long ago and have passed away, but now he calls us, encourages us to continue in the same way, to be people who live by faith. And all of these people here are commended for exactly that, for their faith. They did not receive what was promised to them in their own lifetime but continued to live by faith for God had to reveal to them something greater, a future together as his people, living under his proper rule and his perfectly created place. And the writer brings that together in verses 39 to 40 as he reminds them to live by faith for the long haul. This is no short, sharp, snap discipleship program. No, this is for the long term. This is for the long haul. This is for our whole lives, a lifetime of living by faith. And in some respects, these final verses can be a tad confusing. What does it mean that God has provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect? That is the Old Testament saints. For throughout this chapter, he has outlined all those who in their lifetime suffered and did not acquire the fulfilment of the promises given to them by God, yet they endured in faith and by faith so that they would be made perfect at a later time. And that later time is to be when they and we are all together under God's roof, in God's house, in his place, gathered together. And when all of God's people are together, there in the place that he has set out for us, it is then, it is then that the saints of the Old Testament, the saints of the New Testament, those throughout throughout history, will be made perfect as God's people together. So there is a future hope of being together with God and with the, the hundreds and thousands and millions of other believers from across the world and through the generations be together with him in perfection. And as we've walked these corridor of heroes, I wonder what sort of encouragement and inspiration comes to mind for you. I find there are, there are six ways that might help us, encourage us, as we continue to live by faith in the here and now. And, and you may well come up with a few more, but let me briefly outline six points here. First, Hebrews 11 helps us when we are in times of doubt. Helps us in times of doubt. While while doubt is not the opposite of faith, it certainly has an impact on our faith. And whether we are struggling to see God, doubting his promises, doubting his goodness and faithfulness, or whether we're just confused about what he is doing in our lives, then we can lose sight of what he has promised. Yet Hebrews 11 enables us to see that he is faithful. 
He is faithful to his promises and that those who have gone before us held fast to Christ knowing that there was something better, that there was something greater in the future, something worth holding on to. Second, Hebrews 11 helps us when we're struggling with sin. We might feel plagued with sin. We might feel the guilt. We might feel the shame. We might be holding on to certain sins like a comfort blanket, always reasoning with ourselves that we'll be able to battle with it later. We'll be able to get over it later. But instead, here we can take confidence that in knowing that Christ has dealt with that sin, has forgiven us for it, and in the process is making us perfect in him. Therefore we live by faith that he has taken that sin upon himself, that he has taken the sins of past, of the present and of the future and has dealt with them decisively for eternity. Third, Hebrews 11 helps us when we wonder what we're meant to be doing for God. Those who were commended were people who lived by faith. They didn't sit and wait around to be taken to this better place. They didn't live in, uh, in laziness, just twiddling their thumbs, waiting for something to happen, wondering what they were meant to do. Instead, they trusted God in the now. And they obeyed his commands and trusted his judgments. The future is in God's hands and for us it is that we are to simply trust and obey. You may know that, uh, that hymn of old, trust and obey. Trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And this may involve life Choices, choices about our lifestyle, our career, our relationships, our spending habits, our social media use, our use of time, our service, our attitudes and our behaviours. But God, of course, doesn't just deal with one aspect of our life. He deals with the whole of it, the whole of life. And our response is to be one of living by faith. Fourth, Hebrews 11 helps us know that we're not alone. Thank goodness we aren't the centre of the world. We aren't the centre of reality. God is. We see that through this list we also need to put life into perspective, don't we? Our own lives. For God is the one who is to be the centre of our worship, not us. God is to be the centre of our lives, not us. For God is with us though. For we are not alone. God is with us by our side and he is faithful to us. And we also know that so, 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 so many people have gone before us. They have treaded out a path like a track in the bush. We can see it. Someone else has done this and we are following in their footsteps. We are following that track, that same path that has been lived by faith. And so... So that means we can live by faith too. We can do it. We can be part of the people of God living by faith. And those millions of believers have gone before can inspire and encourage us to do so.
5, Hebrews 11 helps us to know that we are being made perfect. Those final two verses show that we, we aren't perfect and nor are the saints of the past. The aim isn't perfection in this lifetime. The aim is to live life by faith with God. And so we take encouragement that we are being made perfect through Christ. He is using our lives and our experiences to shape us and mould us to become more and more like him. And in doing so, as we recognise that, we live by faith. Knowing that perfection will come in a greater day. Which leads to the sixth and final point, that Hebrews 11 helps us know that there will be a better day. Not sure what you're going through right now. I have probably some familiar feelings as you do but everyone is going through something and often everyone is going through something different and dealing with something. And with this being the case, Hebrews 11 provides for us uh, a perspective but also a hope, a future hope. A hope that one day things will be better a day where thing, one day we will be with God and it will be all made perfect. One day the acute pain of living now will be made into a sustained enjoyment with God. With God. And perhaps the key is there, with God. For as we walk by faith, as we walk in the shadow of those who have gone before, we are encouraged and inspired to to walk with God, to walk with God by faith. I pray that might be the case for you this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and and the way in which it speaks to us. Lord, we thank you for the the saints of the past who have lived by faith and provide such a great example to us. We, we obviously think too of Christ who lived here on earth by faith and is the, the fulfilment of all the promises that you have given to us as your people. Lord, may we be encouraged and inspired by Christ and by those who have gone before this morning to continue to live by faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to close our service by participating in communion. You can see the elements here, the juice and the bread. And as we've walked through Hebrews 11 together, we've seen the centrality of walking by faith. Uh, that, that to walk with God in faith uh, and as he leads us, to walk with him by faith, as he leads us into the future, he continues to, to provide for us his promises and his faithfulness and his goodness to us and shows a future of what is in store for us. So as we turn to, to communion this morning, uh, we come 
as opposed to a practice that has been instituted for, for hundreds and hundreds of years now since, since Christ himself. And as God's people, we continue in that line of tradition, that line of others who remember Jesus' death and resurrection. And the very act of coming uh, before God and recognising the great work that he has done through his son Jesus and remembering it uh, ourselves is something that we do by faith. For by faith we believe in Jesus. By faith we believe that he died for us, for our sin and our sinfulness, for our guilt and for our shame. And by faith we believe that he rose again that he conquered the grave, that he conquered uh, death and provides restoration and life everlasting, a, a future hope. So by faith, this morning we come to the table, the communion table where we remember his body given and his blood shed for us on the cross. And the night before Jesus went to the cross, he shared a meal with his disciples and told them to remember him through these basic elements of bread and wine. And in Luke 22, 19 to 20, he says, it says, And Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood which is poured out for you. And so this morning, uh, Nolene will continue to, to play some music in the background, but I'd encourage you to take the cup, take the bread and take the cup and remember, remember the cross and remember that you're living by faith uh, in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to close our service uh, with a simple prayer for us as you continue to take uh, these elements yourself or whatever elements you have in your house. And I encourage you to take uh, communion and take a time of reflection, if you can, uh, on what it is to live by faith in your situation, in your context and in your life. Remember the encouragement and inspiration that comes from others and that ultimately also comes from Christ himself. So I pray that as you reflect and as you think upon these elements and what Christ has done for us on the cross, you may be encouraged and inspired to live a life of faith from here on in too. So let's, let's pray and there'll be a few moments uh, for reflection after that as well. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you that we can remember you through these elements of bread and, and wine and we pray that you may be at the forefront of our minds now as someone who has lived by faith, so faithful that you went to the cross for us. In Hebrews 12, just after the passage that we have read this morning, it says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, 
keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, the joy that was to come, for this future hope that we have faith in you for, that, that, that he endured the cross, that he despised the shame and that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, help us this morning to be people who live by faith, understand the way in which your son Jesus has lived by faith and be encouraged and inspired to do that this week, we pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.